You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. This morning we're we're concluding our Who is God series, which has been running for a while. Um, And we're looking at the final topic, which is God is closer than you think. God is closer than you think. And so over the last few weeks we've been looking at some of the names of God um, haven't we we've looked at all sorts of different ones and, and um, last week we discovered that um, what it means that God is peace and this week I want to move into a slightly different area slightly different direction we're not really looking at, at a name of God um, but we're talking about kind of what what do we mean when we talk about God and what does it mean that God is closer than we think so if you mind turning your eyes to the screen, we're going to have a, a quick video that's going to set the tone for today. When I was 20, I drove an Oldsmobile. It was a silver four-door Delta 88, and it had a long bench seat across the front, and in a feat of engineering genius, the rear license plate was on a hinge, and you had to pull it back in order to fill up the gas tank. We called it the sled. It was a magnificent automobile, and it served me well for those years. But they don't make Oldsmobiles anymore. I mean, they used to be popular, but the factories have shut down. And eventually, the only ones left will be collector's items, relics of an era that has passed. Oldsmobile couldn't keep up with the times, and so it's become more and more something of the past, not the future. For them, not us. For then, not now. I tell you about the sled, because for a growing number of people in our modern world, God is a bit like Oldsmobiles. Things have changed. We have more information and technology than ever. We're interacting with a broader, more diverse range of people than ever. And the tribal God, the only one many people have ever heard of, appears more and more small and narrow and irrelevant, and in some cases just plain mean, and other times not that intelligent. Like my friend Kathy, who was at this event recently where she heard an influential Christian leader say he doesn't think women should be allowed to teach and lead in faith communities. Kathy, who has two master's degrees, sat there stunned. Or my friend Gary, who he and his family visited a church on a recent Easter Sunday, only to hear a resurrection sermon about how all gay people are going to hell. And then my friend Michael just told me recently about hearing the leader of a large Christian organization say that if you don't believe that God made the world in a literal six days, then you have to get rid of the rest of the Bible as well, because, you know, it doesn't matter what science says. This is a problem. And as a pastor over the last 20 years, what I've seen again and again is people with a growing sense that their spirituality is in some vital and yet mysterious way central to who they are as a person. And yet the dominant perceptions and conceptions and understandings of God they've encountered along the way aren't just failing them, but in many cases are causing harm. Is God going to be left behind like Oldsmobiles? I don't think so. Because I believe there are other ways, better ways of talking about God and understanding God. Because I believe God is with us and for us. 
And I believe God is actually ahead of us, calling us and drawing us and inviting and pulling us all, every one of us, into a better future than we could ever imagine. No, I, I think it's interesting. You, you know, Rob, the guy in the book is called Rob, and he says some, sorry, the guy in the video is called Rob. He says some things about God in that video. He says God is for us. God is with us, and God is ahead of us. And you see, I think for many people, and perhaps for some of us, God can seem a little bit like that Oldsmobile, that kind of dated and irrelevant and something of the past, something that isn't really relevant for kind of people out there anymore. And if you spend any time online, um, you probably come across someone who caricatures Christianity um, or the Bible, maybe as something like ancient fairy stories or something like that. Or maybe you might have seen this image of God before of a man sitting on a cloud with a big beard speaking to Homer Simpson. Um, Something like that. See, of course, I think, and I think we all think, that there are better ways of talking about God and that God himself is relevant. But do you know that we don't have to change the story for God to become relevant, but we have to sometimes modify what we think about God and how we talk about God and the language that we use about God. See, simply, it matters how we talk about God. I'm going to move this stand up a bit. Because it also matters how close the notes are to your eyes so that you can see them. Um, But it matters how we talk about God. See, for many of us, Our conception of God is defined by what we first heard. I was looking into this, um, and anyone who follows me on Facebook will know that I've been looking into this. Um, This idea of something called the anchoring effect in in, um, psychology. That is, it kind of talks about what you first heard has um, a bias over what you've heard kind of second or third or fourth. So the first person to tell you something or the first person to give you an idea has an advantage over the next person to give you that, a different idea or an opposing idea. Because if you hear something first, you think all of a sudden you think, well, this is true. And then this thing that this other person tells me, they have to give me a lot more evidence for me to change my mind than the first person. So we have this bias kind of in, in our brains. and It's just a natural thing that we have, which psychologists like to call the anchoring effect. And so maybe we heard about a God who was angry at us and angry at what we've done. And he needed appeasing. So maybe that's our first kind of conception about God. Or maybe we subtly learn from people around us about a God who made us better than the other people. About somehow that we as Christians are better than other people. Maybe that's something that maybe wasn't taught, but maybe you subtly kind of learn through behavior and that kind of thing. Or maybe we grew up with a concept of a God who cared about what we did on a Sunday morning, but not so much about what we did 
in the rest of the week. And I know of, of kind of many stories of people who they'll be going they'll be going to church with their with their family on a Sunday morning. And as soon as they get in the car, the dad's shouting at the people driving past, and you know the whole kind of family life is different than how it seems on a Sunday. So maybe we subtly learn that God only cares about what we do on a Sunday. I think the thing is that we've confused our vocation with a creation. See, our vocation is and always has been to bear the image of God. When we we were created in his image, if we go all the way back to Genesis, we hear that God created us in his image. And so our vocation has been to bear that image. But what we often do, and I think sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in more obvious ways, what we do is we create a God in our own image. Just like the caricature that was up on the screen before. A caricature of a God who's based upon our own upbringing, our own things that we learn about, our own life situations, our thoughts, our internal biases, the seemingly far away stories of the Bible that sometimes become alien, sometimes don't fit with this concept that we have of God. How often is it the case that you you kind of come across people, and maybe we've done it ourselves, that certain portions of the Bible we read and we go, yeah, this is great, this is fantastic, this is my favourite bit. And other bits we go, well, this doesn't seem to line up with the God that I think I know. And where does that come from? Maybe for many people that that searching and that answer has, has led them to a place that they go, well, I can't believe in this God. I don't think that, that this God exists. Or worse, if he does, I don't want to worship him. Because they have these kind of biases and things going on. You see, there's some unlearning that I think we have to do. There's a theologian called Tom Wright, and he tells this story. He says, for seven years, I was college chaplain at Worcester College, Oxford. Each year, I used to see the first year undergraduates individually for a few minutes to welcome them to college and to make a first acquaintance. Most were happy to meet me, but some some commented, often with embarrassment, you won't see much of me. You see, I don't believe in God. I developed a stock response. Oh, that's interesting. Which God is it that you don't believe in? And this response used to surprise them. And so they'd stumble out a few phrases about a being who lived up in the sky or someone who was looking down disapprovingly at the world, occasionally intervening to do miracles, sending bad people to hell whilst allowing good people to share in his heaven. And again, I had a, stru- a stock response to this kind of spy in the, in the sky theology. Well, I'm not surprised you don't believe in that God. I don't either. And at this point, the undergraduate would look sla- slightly startled. And I would continue. No, I would say. I believe in the God revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. You see, what most people mean by God in today's society in the 21st century world is simply not the mainstream Christian teaching of who God is. 
It matters how we talk about God. The ancients had a way of talking about God, a way of understanding and of experiencing God that I think we have sometimes often lost. And you see, going back to the Old Testament, the ancients understood that God and his intimacy and connection with the world, they kind of understood that through stories, through recollections, through shared experience. And you see, for the Israelites, Yahweh was not simply the God who created and then left and went up to the sky and and kind of looked down angrily at everything that we did. He was the God who heard their cry in Egypt and rescued them. He was the God who gave them the promised land. He was the God who appeared as a cloud by day and as fire by night. He was the God who provided food for them in the wilderness. He was this experiential shared story God that they could understand and relate to. who was relevant to who they were. But often we don't see God in that way. We have these phrases, don't we? Oh, it was such a God thing. Or God really showed up in that moment. Have you ever heard those phrases or said those phrases or come across them? Let me challenge that thought process. Everything is a God thing. God is always showing up. And see, maybe the story of the Bible is less about a God showing up and more about us becoming aware of his presence. We've been called to bear the image of God. That's our calling, that's our vocation. And so rather than create a caricature of a God we think might be maybe out there that we don't really know and don't really recognize, we don't create that God in our own image. We reflect the creator God back to the world. That's our job, that's our vocation. And it's funny that When we become aware of that vocation and start living it out, we put aside our own ego. We put aside our own sense of self-importance and self-centeredness. And it's in that moment that God shows up. And interestingly, there's some Bible verses that speak to that. In Psalm 34, verse 18, they'll come up on the screen. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. And in Matthew 5 3, Jesus says that the poor in spirit are blessed. In other words, what happens is when we begin to recognize our own need for God, we somehow become aware that he's closer than we think. We somehow recognize that he's here. And perhaps all along, God has been there, present with us. But just as the two on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus, so we fail to recognize the God who's present with us. See, maybe God was always close, but maybe we just didn't recognize him. I wonder if you've ever had an experience that has kind of pointed beyond yourself to something that's bigger if you've ever been in a situation and and maybe it's one of those times where we've gone oh that's really a god thing or god really showed up in that moment maybe those experiences are something that are not just unique to 
us as Christians or to us as individuals, maybe we all find ourselves having experiences that point past ourselves to something beyond. Something beyond our caricatures of God, something beyond our ways of trying to define him and trying to box him in and trying to understand who he is. And maybe you struggle, just as I struggle sometimes, to hold all of that intention and to explain it in appropriate language and try and, you know, give people a three-point explanation of who God is in, in this situation. Sometimes we just can't seem to find the words. There was, if we go back to the ancients again, the ancient Hebrews, they, they had this way of talking about these experiences that we've all had. These moments where we become aware of our need for God and his presence among us when he reveals himself to us in those ways. And those times we recognize that there's something more going on. And the guy from the video, Rob Bell, he explains that the ancient Hebrews believed that everything you and I know to be everything that is exists because of an explosive expansive surprising creative energy that surges through all things holding everything all together and giving the universe its life and depth and fullness and the ancient hebrews they they called this cosmic expressed power this divine energy they called it the ruach of god the ruach the wind the spirit of god it was an experienced, present, active, life-giving power that was expressed in a word that reveals the very life force of God, his breath. What happens right there in creation when, um, when humans are created in God's image? He breathes his ruach his spirit, his life-giving force into them. And they become the image bearers of God. See, there's these ancient rhythms of, of kind of knowing, of experiencing God's presence that are expressed in our stories about him and, and saying this happened and that happened. And, oh, can I tell you about this story where God showed up? They were verbalized in this word ruach. And one theologian describes it as God in action for the benefit of his people. Not just for no reason, but God in action for the benefit of his people. Think about that for a second. He's closer than we think. And as history moved from the kind of the ancient world and prehistory and, and through the, the kind of history of the Israelites to the first century, God was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. This son of a carpenter from Nazareth. And we have these wonderful phrases, such as this idea in John's Gospel of the Word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Literally, that idea is, is like pitching his holy tent and bringing his presence to earth in the person of Jesus. It's tied up in this image of Tab, the tabernacle and it, it can be translated as Jesus tabernacled amongst us he pitched his tent his spirit his dwelling his presence 
was among us. And we have verses such as those found in Romans chapter 8 where the writer tells us that the same spirit, that Ruach of God, again, that same spirit raised Christ from the dead. And he lives inside of us and gives life to our mortal bodies. See, God is here. God is relevant. God is present. His spirit is alive. His presence dwells among us. And sometimes we just don't recognize him. There's this story um, in Acts 17 where the Apostle Paul is on this hill in Athens. Um, and I'll try and pronounce the name. It's, it's called the Areopagus. There we go. And I don't know how well I did that, but I'll give it a go. And he says, he says these words. He says, I see that in every way you are very religious. He's talking to the people of Athens who weren't Jews. They weren't Christians. They were others, right? He says, I see in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And Paul goes on to quote two of their own poets who kind of trying to express some of this thing about this God that they didn't know and they didn't recognize. One said, in him we live and move and have our being. And another said that we are his offspring. And so using the experience and the language of those very people who were kind of trying to search out, trying to express what they thought was unknowable about a God that they kind of thought was out there but didn't really know about, Paul began to explain how God has been revealed in Christ. He said, let me tell you about this God that you think is unknowable. You don't know who he is. But he's here, he's present, he needs to be revealed to you. See, it matters how we talk about God. Paul recognized the value in the experience and the expression of the people around him. The people of Athens knew something, but they didn't know what they knew. They were kind of they were kind of searching and they were kind of lost. But Paul knew the God that they couldn't recognize. How often do we diminish the experience of the people of Athens? like figuratively, not the actual people of Athens, but the people of Athens in this story around us. How often do we diminish their experience? Oh, they don't know God. This person doesn't know God. This person is so far away from God. Or whatever it might be. Paul doesn't approach it in that way. It's really interesting. He says, you've got this inscription to an unknown God. You've got these poets who are kind of alluding to something. And yet you've not got the full picture. You don't know the full story. You're kind of searching for something. You, you're wanting to find it. And I can show you the way. I can show you where it is. Let me reveal to you. Let me explain to you how this actually works. Let me show you the God who's been with you all along and you didn't know it. See, maybe that's a challenge for us. Maybe that's a challenge to us when we see the figurative people of Athens around us and we hear what they say and we hear things like people saying, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious or, you know, I, I don't really 
oh, God seems like really angry, or God seems like this, or I don't know how you can stick to all those rules, or I don't know this, or I don't know that. And actually, no, it's none of that. You don't have to worry about any of that. We don't have to worry about getting the rules right. We don't have to worry about how, how much someone wants to come to church, how much someone gets organized religion or how much they're angry at it or whatever. We do not have to worry about that because that's not what's important in people finding Christ. Because all of that stuff comes. But our job is to reflect the image of God, to display that image, reflect it back to the world. And that involves us removing those barriers, removing those walls that we put up. Um, Someone I... No, um, said once said um, that Jesus is hard to follow, but he should be easy to find. And I think that's so true that often, you know, we we put in like this. There's this step, and you, oh well, if you wanna, yeah, if you wanna come to faith, what you gotta you gotta come to church every week. Um, if you don't, you're not a very good Christian. No, I'm joking. Um, you've, got to, you've got to do this. You've got to make sure you know all the songs and know all the types of words that were used that you've never used for the first 30, 40 years of your life. You've got to understand what all that means. Um, you've got to enjoy coffee, um, which is a given. Um, you know, you've got to do all these things, right? And that lifestyle that you're living at the moment, you need to stop doing that because God's not going to love you until you've stopped doing that. And you need to, you know, you need to put aside all this things that you've, all the friends that you've known for all your life. You've got to forget about those because you don't want to be with any of those. And, and we kind of, we throw kind of out these ideas and thoughts that people are like, well, I can't, I can't do all that. But once you reveal Christ to people, it's him who does the changing and transforming of people. It's not down to us. Our job is to make Jesus as easy to find as possible. And we do that by reflecting the image of God. See, those people of Athens, they were looking for something. And they had some kind of experience, but they didn't recognize him. Just as we sometimes don't recognize him. You know, sometimes we let our own ego get in the way. Sometimes our own sense of self disguises the God that we claim to reflect. Um, I was, have you ever heard the phrase, um, or the question, do you feel like God's far away? Who moved? Question mark. Have you ever heard that like on a, on a church sign or something like that, on a bumper sticker on the back of a car? I think sometimes... It's less about us moving away from God and and more about us just kind of forgetting that he's there, kind of doing things that hide him, turning that mirror of kind of reflection away and just just putting up a barrier, you know, looking the other way, walking down the path with him and looking this way. And he's, he's kind of next to us here, but we're looking this way. See, what actually when we don't reflect... We begin to reject. And God calls us to be what we were created to be in his image. It's that simple, really. He constantly reveals himself 
and is revealing himself. And even now, his Ruach, his spirit, his breath, his life-giving force is moving in this place and revealing himself to each and every one of us. So really, my question today is, will you recognize him? Will you know him today? Will you reflect him in your life as you leave this place? I wonder if we could maybe stand. Um, yes, yeah, so would you would you stand with me? And I think the the response to this to this message it doesn't require us to kind of come out to the front or to or really to kind of get prayer or anything like that and we will offer an opportunity to to pray for you guys and um if you if that's what you want and Isaac could you come play um the response doesn't really require that from us today the response requires something of us when we leave this place when we walk out of the threshold of of this room, walk over the threshold to the outside and we go, how am I going to live now in response to this? Am I going to be someone who reflects the image of God? Or am I going to be someone who rejects that vocation? Am I going to be someone who talks about a God who is near? A God who is close? A God who is intimately connected in every area of our lives. A God who often we we don't recognize in every situation. Or am I going to talk about a God who's angry? Am I going to talk about a God who's far away? Am I going to talk about a God who's, who's not relevant? And just as Paul said to the people of Athens, you... You know there's something, but you don't know what it is. Maybe we will come across people who know that there's something, but they don't know what it is. And our job is to reflect the image of God in our lifestyle, in the way that we live, in the way that we move, in the way that we have our being. Because it's in Him that we live and move and have our being, in Christ. Not in anything else. And so, take a moment, close your eyes where you are if you need to, take take a second, put your hands out if you need to, in response, whatever it is for you, do that kind of posturing to, to make that response and take a moment with God. Ask him to reveal himself new to you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.